NFL Show, part of the Mojo Sports Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Mojo Sports AFL Show. I'm your host, Callum Dunk. Joining me on the show, as always, are our regular panellists, Ash, Jake, and Nathan. Obviously, it was a big weekend of footy with the Anzac um, round, and I think it's just something that's done so well across the country. Uh, Ash um, was at the Clash at the MCG today, so he'll talk about his experience um, that he had today. But, boys, how are we? It was a good round of footy. Ash, what are your initial thoughts on the round? Um, yeah, well, I think today especially what a game we saw, um, a classic Anzac Day, probably one of the rare times where both Collingwood and Essendon have sort of been relevant so it definitely put for a a pretty good game overall absolutely i couldn't agree with you more jake how are you mate you're back from illness this week yeah i'm back i can talk this week um yeah great great weekend of footy i thought last night's anzac day as well the atmosphere um while i was there was really good as well so good weekend of footy and nath lucky last mate how'd you say the weekend yeah, very good. Uh, happy Crow supporter. And um, I think looking at the uh, results in the ladder now, the cream is slowly rising to the top. We're starting to get a bit of a top eight forming, which might stick for the rest of the year as well, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, some big things to talk about from the weekend. Uh, as we mentioned, Anzac Day off the top of the show. We'll get into that shortly. But the Saints continue to impress and surprise a lot of people. Uh, Frio, a uh, bit of trouble, as we've talked about on the podcast previously. So we'll delve into those issues a little bit more. Uh, we do have a few suspensions to talk about early on. So uh, Tom Jonas got a week for his bump on Jai Cully. Uh, Callum Ward got a week for his bling slash legs around tackle on Lockie Neal. Jesse Motlop got a week and Mitch Duncan got off um, that accidental sort of contact with Robbie Fox from Sydney. So, Nath, I'll throw it to you first, mate. What are your thoughts on those sort of four incidents that I just talked about? Yeah, look, really interesting. Um, I uh, Probably the main one that stuck, well, the two main ones that stuck out for me this week was probably the Callum Ward one um, specifically. You know, it's an interesting one. I think he had Lockie Neal in a really good tackling position. And over the last couple of weeks, we've sort of spoken about, you know, instead of now slinging or moving the player towards the ground, he's holding the player in a stand-up tackle. Um, and he sort of, you know, did a slight sling and I think Lockie Neal probably could have done a little bit more in the contest to have, um, you know, prevented his head from hitting the ground. But probably another thing that we spoke about last week is around the, um, the timing of the whistle from the umpire, you know, Callum Ward had, had, had him wrapped up for quite a while there um, and the whistle should have gone. And then, you know, the sling has occurred and he's gone to ground um, probably preventable by the umpire, but look by the letter of the law, it's fair. It's unlucky for Callum Ward. He misses a big clash against Sydney next week, but you know, it is what it is. And I think Mitch Duncan, I think that's, I'm probably happy for the game that he got let off. Um, you know, it was a fair bump, you know, shoulder to shoulder. And it's unfortunate that Robbie Fox's head hit the ground, but I think, you know, the bump is still alive in the game and it was a fair bump. And um, I, I think that the, the right decision was made there for, um, for Mitch Duncan. Yeah, I think. Um, and what were your thoughts on the Tom Jonas one as well? Because I was at Adelaide over when it happened and, you know, as soon as it sort of came up on the big screen, you just got that sense in the ground, be like, Oh, he's in trouble here. Probably not a bad thing for Port Adelaide considering he wasn't fantastic on the weekend, but what were your thoughts on the Jonas one, Nath? 
unlucky, I think. You know, look, we know what happens when you do choose to bump and that the head contact was made. It's probably on the softer scale, um, but I think, you know, by what has happened in the first six weeks of the season, I think, you know, it's unfortunate, but it does have to be a week suspension, even though it's probably not on the the, the higher end of severity or contact or anything like that, but he's chose to bump, and I think that's the, the risk that you take, um, unfortunately. And Ash, I'll throw it to you next. Any particular thoughts about the four incidents that we talked about? Yeah, well, I was pretty firm sort of last week that with this whole sling tackle scenario, I think it's it's almost a bit ridiculous with, with how often this is sort of happening just because so much of the action is dependent on the person who is being tackled and not on the tackler. Like you see guys like Lockie Neal and, and for the um, Callum Ward scenario and Dougal Howard for the Jesse Motlop case where they're almost surrendering themselves at and almost letting themselves flop to the ground, not necessarily to, to draw a free kick. But I, I think when, when you're playing a game, when sort of, I, I don't want to go in, in, into the way that it's, um, you know, the game's going softer and all that. But so much of this is not determined by the person who is performing the tackle in this contact sport. So I feel like we're going down a really bad path where players are almost going to be scared to tackle uh, with, with ferocity and aggression, which, you know, on the other hand, you see Carlton who have got a million broken tackles a game and, and you were sort of hoping that they're sort of bringing them to ground a bit harder. So I think it's a real gray area. Maybe potentially we move it from less of an action-based suspension to, to outcome-based, which is the complete opposite of what we've sort of been talking about recently. But I feel like, there is too many inconsistencies still. And until we sort of iron that out, I think there are going to be a few unhappy people like myself. Yeah, it's an interesting one. You know, we don't want the game to go soft. Um, We still want that ferocity and that immense pressure in the game. But at the same time, you know, I feel like on the podcast, we're going to be talking about potentially four or five incidents each week. And, you know, obviously some incidents, instances are worse than others and I think in round one we saw the bumps get that particular highlight but you know some of these things are just general football things and um, I'm all about protecting the head and I think that's a really good thing from the AFL but it's just how far do you go you know how much do you go too far when you're trying to police the game Um, Jake what are your thoughts before we move on yeah, well, I agree with Nathan in regards to the Mitch Duncan incident. So, I mean, it is a fair bump. I like the bump. You know, I want everyone to bump. The bump is a really, you know, it's a great part of our game. And then I'll touch on the Cullen Ward one, the the wrapping around the legs. You know, it's an interesting technique. I don't really see it too often, uh, but, you know, it's a bit unlucky, I thought. So, yeah, I'm not too sure. I think, yeah. Yeah, we'll move on uh, from our controversial uh, incidents of the week and we'll move to Anzac Day specifically. Uh, Ash was at the MCG today watching a thrilling contest between Collingwood and Essendon. Um, 95,000 people, mate. How did did you cope? Uh, What was the atmosphere like in the ground and um, what are some things from today's game that really stood out to you? Yeah, well, I think um, 
the moment after the national anthem is sung and everyone is sort of cheering, like just the roar from the crowd where, where it's both teams is coming together, um, excited for the game to start and the noise and the atmosphere is just sort of unreal. Um, so sort of pretty, um, privileged, I guess, but, uh, yeah, Collingwood, the, the brand of footy, which they are playing at the moment is just unreal. Just their ability to, uh, apply pressure and just a real killer instinct, which I wish that Carlton had sort of in situations where you're three, four goals down and they just find a way to win every single week. Um, their running power just overwhelmed Essendon. Um, you know, the, the change which they were creating, it's um, honestly pretty jealous. I, I think Craig McRae has got them running beautifully. And Nick Dacos, what a star, you know, only his second year and he's probably a, a Brownlow favourite at this stage. Um, I think I, I saw something that's his third time this year or, or fourth time this year. He's had 30 touches and two goals, or I, I might be wrong, but they, these are insane numbers. Um, yeah, so good luck to Nick Dacos and good luck to Collingwood because both of them are sort of really firing really well right now. Yeah, it's um, quite extraordinary, Dacos's form, um, and we've been talking about when's that tag going to come. We sort of thought with Ross Lyon, you know, being a defensive-orientated coach, that that would have come last week. You know, we thought, will it come this week with Brad Scott and, you know, Essendon? But um, I feel like he's going to get some treatment this week when he plays against the Crows. So we know that Ben Keys um, likes to play that defensive forward role. We've seen him play it very successfully on Adam Saad um, in recent times. But before we jump more into that, I'll throw it to the Essendon supporter in the group. Jake, um, what were your thoughts on um, the overall Anzac Day clash? Well, I thought, you know, I thought we played well for the first three quarters. I thought we were playing how we did last week, you know, quick hands, we're moving the ball well. Just inside 50s, we had some issues with finding targets. And I thought our small forwards kind of fell to the ground a little too easily, but you just can't keep them out. You know, 28 points up, I was like, oh, I don't know. I still don't know. And then last quarter, it was just like, how is this dude open? How is there always one extra person after another? And then, you know, someone's in the goal screen, there's a goal, so... Yeah, bad luck to us and Collingwood deserved it in the end, so yeah. Yeah, I think one of the things that stood out for, for me today while I was watching this was the form of uh, Bo McCreary. Um, he's someone that doesn't obviously get the spotlight when you've got Gidevan, Majacek, you know, Johnson's getting a bit more attention, but he's just a really good role player, comes from... Uh, the footy factory down at South Adelaide, as we like to call it. Um, you know, he's just been really impressive the last two years and uh, he's always a good one to put in your same game multi for an anytime goal scorer. So um, before we move on to some of the other matches from the weekend, Nath, what were your thoughts on um, Anzac Day? Yeah, probably slightly jealous, you know, as a non-Victorian, uh, Anzac Day is one of those games that are, uh, you know, you always want to go to, and I haven't been lucky enough, and hopefully one day I am. But, you know, watching on the TV with the last post and the national anthems and 95,000, it's a, watching on TV, you get goosebumps and you're not even there. So 
And then for the game itself, you know, I thought as much as Collingwood were were good, and especially in that fourth quarter coming home as as strongly as they did with their pressure game and their runoff, Essendon, you know, were were very very good, and they should hold their heads high. You know, disappointed to lose being in a position where there were four goals up going into the fourth quarter, but I think they showed enough. Um, you know, they run through the midfield, Parish and Shield, even Will Setterfield as well. Um, and and without uh, captain Zach Merritt, I thought their backline held up really really well um, as well. Um, and then they're kicking goals as well. You know, Alan Davies popping up and kicking goal in his forward line pressure is really really good. Um, and Langford Langford sort of turned himself into a you know a reliable goal scorer now, which I think is really really important for us. And especially you know when Wiedemann he can be a bit hit and miss at times as well. And Jake Stringer still trying to sort of you know play himself back into into form as such. I, I, I think, you know, Esalen's got a very well-balanced team and, you, you know, they've they've uh, won games early, which have, has put themselves in a um, a good position going forward, I think, into the back end of the season, especially after the buyer. So, look, Collingwood impressed, um, but I think Essendon fans should hold their heads high and remain positive. Um, they've taken a couple of big scalps so far this year as well. I think the form from Eston early in the season has been quite remarkable considering that I think pretty well all of us had them in the bottom four. I know I certainly had them in the bottom four. I think Jake was probably the most bullish on them out of everyone here. Would that be about right? Yeah, I had them around the 12 to 15 area. I don't know. I didn't have too much faith. <laughs> but um, I think it's really positive positive signs. Um, no Peter Wright's playing in this team at the moment. So I assume they'll probably get him back in the next, next month or so. I'm not yeah. sure how sustainable or how big his injury is at the moment. So um, yeah, if the Bombers are, you know, are able to get a few more early wins before the bye, um, I think it really sets up the second half of the year. Let's move into some of the other results from the weekend. So the Western Bulldogs headed over to Perth on Friday night and won by 49 points. That's a big win to the doggies. Uh, Port did what they needed to do against West Coast to win by 40. Brisbane did the same thing against a competitive Giants team at Monica Oval. The big talking point from the weekend would be Geelong beating Sydney again by 93 points down at GMHBA Stadium. That's always a tongue twister, that one. Uh, the Crows got out of jail down in uh, Launceston. Uh, Darcy Fogarty uh, channeling his inner David Mundy clutch energies uh, to get the Crows over the line here. As we talked about at the top of the show, the Saints continue to march in. Uh, they got a 22-point win over uh, Carlton. And then the Gold Coast were able to respond after you know some pretty heavy criticisms to win by 43 points over North Melbourne. The D's won by three goals over the Tigers on Anzac Eve. And then, as we talked about today, Collingwood were able to get up by 13 points. So I'll throw it to you first, Nathan, this time. Uh, what did you particularly like from the weekend? Um, yeah, probably one team that stood out above all this weekend for me was the Western Bulldogs. Um, you know, I watched that game on Friday night and I think, and we'll touch on it later, as disappointing as Fremantle were, I thought the Bulldogs were really, really impressive. I think Marcus Bontempelli is probably in, you know, career best form and, you know, a, a very good candidate for um, for the Brownlow medal. You know, he put together a, um, 
a really good game. I think Tim English has now solidified his position as the um, the best ruckman in um, in the league. He came up against a very physical opponent in Sean Darcy, and even though he didn't win the hit-out battle, his ability to move from contest to contest and, you know, get separation from his, his opposing ruckman was his biggest point of difference and exposed Darcy on multiple occasions. And I think probably the other... Um, you know, positive, I guess, for the Western Bulldogs is Jack McRae. Now, Jack McRae is a new, multiple-time All-Australian, and we expect him to be as good as what he is, but he's been thrown around a lot. He's been chucked up forward. He's been thrown onto the wing, and you know, on Friday night, he was back in the guts and he had 29 touches, which is a standard Jack McRae game, but he had 14 clearances. So 50% of his touches were clearances and, you know, a lot of which were effective going into the forward 50 as well. And I think that's a that's a really big part of his game. And, you know, there was so, so many times and so many games where they're relying on Bont and Pelly doing that, but so many of them are jumping on board now with, you know, Trelaw and, and Liberatore also, you know, being quite, you know, dogged and hungry in the middle as well and Bailey Smith to return as well. I think Bulldogs, you know, have scraped themselves to three and three after a bit of a slow start and they're really starting to get going. So I'm excited to see where they go. And um, probably the other one to touch on for me is the Crows. Look, you know, um, Launceston and and, and, uh, Hawthorne are a, a very tough, matchup for whatever reason, you know, played very good football down there. And I think the most impressive thing is the fact that, you know, last year the Crows would have lost that game 13 points down with less than five minutes ago. They would have dropped the bundle and probably lost by four or five goals. But, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that they kept on coming um, and obviously a couple of good finishes by Fogarty and by Rankin late as well to seal the deal. But the biggest thing for me, and it has been spoken about a little bit, but was the footage that we saw on TV where the coach's box showed Matthew Nix telling Van Bella to put the phone down and let the player sort it out. Um, and then for the 30 seconds following that, Jordan Dawson going back as that sweeper and directing traffic to make sure the players were accountable and where they needed to be. Um, that shows signs of a team that's mature, um, and are developing with their on-game, uh, in-game um, ability to be able to adjust to what's going on around them. So, you know, really, really pleased um, from that perspective to see that development. But a very tough stretch now for the Crows coming out with Collingwood, Geelong, St Kilda, the Bulldogs um, all coming up. So, you know, uh, a tough run, but, you know, we've got ourselves into a four or two position. So, you know, a really good start. Yeah, yeah I think most people would have had the Crows, you know, if they were able to be three and three after, you know, six rounds, they were in a pretty good position. Um, yeah, I had the s- same thoughts as you regarding the Crows, you know, last year and 2021, they obviously uh, would have lost that game down in down in Tassie. And um, it's a good sign of maturity as a group to, you know, get those wins on the, ro- on the road against teams that you should beat as well. So, um, yeah, the Crows got out of jail and, and they did very well. Um, and Mark, to get back to Marcus Bontempelli, uh, as we talked about in the group chat the other night, I took the VC on uh, Marcus Bontempelli uh, for fantasy. So uh, his 148 turned out to be a very nice captain's score. Uh, Ash, I'll throw it to you next, mate. What did you like from the weekend? I think Melbourne was... Uh someone a team who really impressed me over the weekend and probably one of the games of the round I think something in particular was that they had I believe it was 11 individual goal kickers which is you know to have half your team contributing to the scoreboard it's just unreal um and especially considering you know they don't have Ben Brown um Tom McDonald can't really get a look in traded out Luke Jackson so they don't really have a lot of those big names especially sort of 
in the key forward department who who scream out, I'm going to kick a bag. But, you know, to be getting three goals from Van Royen, three goals from Kate Chandler, it's just, you know, really good reward for, for some of the players they got in. And, you know, some of the work they were doing in the midfield, you know, Jack Viney, Christian Petrarca, Clayton Oliver, once again, solid as uh, as usual. So I, I reckon they can go real deep this year, and I'm excited to see what happens when they start getting a few of, the, uh, of those injured players back. Yeah, it was a uh, really impressive signs for the D's and uh, we'll touch on Richmond a little bit later on. They're probably a little bit concerning at the moment with their injury list and their uh, form line from the first six mm-hmm. rounds. And and Jake, what did you like from the round, mate? Uh, I like, you know, I like the way Geelong played. I like the way they were able to blow the game out. You know, obviously Sydney missing a few players, but obviously Geelong just able to blow it out. Hawkins. Cameron getting back to their best and Dangerfield as well, streaming out the midfield. Uh, it was a little strange. I looked at the game and I was like, are we still in COVID? Because obviously one end at Geelong, there's no fans because of the new stadium getting built on the other side. And, you know, the Lions winning three in the row, Cameron kicking seven. I thought, you know, that's a good sign for them, just getting some confidence back. And I might just stream onto that as well with the Melbourne-Richmond game. I thought Melbourne in the first three quarters were a little bit, they were kind of losing it, the game themselves, because they were playing down to Richmond, you know, hack kicking. But then in the last quarter, they were going to sub off uh, Rue and, uh, yeah, three big marks, and he really won the game for them, which was good. Yeah, absolutely. And let's um, get into what was concerning to us, and I'll kick us off this time. And um, the Richmond's form line um, is very concerning to me, a team that, a lot of people predicted that would, you know, make that jump up this year. I think I had them in third position with my preseason rankings. Um, the two big inclusions of Taranto and Hopper, um, and to be six points, one one and a half games essentially after six rounds is a bit of a concern. Their injury list. I know they did get Jaden Short back, and he's a really important player in that team, but. Um, I think just getting, you know, players like Lynch and then Curvis back and being able to rely on those players consistently is going to be Richmond's downfall. And um, they better get a wriggle on because if they're um, behind on wins, you know, by their mid-season buy, um, I reckon it's almost good night to the Tigers. And um, that's such a shame because we have seen in lots of patches this year, round one versus Carlton uh, on Monday night as well. You know, they are able to take it with the really good teams. And I know Carlton's not doing as fantastic the last couple of weeks, but they're a team that everyone expects to be up there um, towards the end of the year. So, um, Jake, uh, what's your thoughts about the Tigers? Well, uh, yeah, first quarter they looked, you know, really good. I mean, their forward line was clicking. Uh, you know, a couple of their smalls kicked the, you know, someone had three in the first quarter. I forgot his name, but he had three. Revolt, you know, he was marking the ball well, doing spins. They had Cochran running up. He was marking the ball well. And that was with Dusty kind of being a little bit quiet in that game. And then, yeah, just threw it away. Just their kicking uh, towards goal wasn't that good. Uh, but I thought their Ruckman, he showed some good signs. Um, you know, he did well in the contest with Grundy. He was able to, um, you know, get a goal and being in the stands, everyone was like, oh, this can go anywhere. And, you know, he was able to snag one. And But no, you know, there are some positive signs. But, yeah, definitely 
they need to find where they want to go. Are they trying to sneak up to, you know, the ninth or eighth position or they, you know, they're looking down the ladder? I think with Richmond, it might be a case of they might not be there this year, but, you know, if Rewalt and Cochin, you know, retire at the end of the year, it might give them some more salary cap to go and chase some free agents. I know there's been a lot of talk about uh, the Tigers going and chasing Harry Himmelberg, and we'll talk a little bit about trading and rumours that we've sort of heard on the grapevine um, a little bit later in the show. Um, But, yeah, are there any other things that were of concern to you with some other teams, Jake? Um, Yeah, I mean, I might just – the Swans, you know, they are a little bit concerning. I thought – they're just getting outbullied at the moment. You know, they're not playing the way that I'd hoped they would. Uh, Heaney, he looked okay, but they're just not getting the production that you'd want out of your Gordon, your Warner, just the, and McInerney as well. I mean, he's he's been disappointing ever since the start of finals last year. So I'm kind of really looking towards their top-end players to uh, get back to their All-Australian form because it's not looking too good for the Swans right now. Yeah, and they were, you know, just bullied at the contest by, you know, a very experienced Geelong side. And we need to remember as well that Sydney is still quite young. And I know that some people were really bullish on Sydney after the first two rounds of the year, but they played Gold Coast and and Hawthorne. So we need to remember that um, and, you know, look at it from that perspective as well. You know, they... They lost a game that they should have won against Port Adelaide a few weeks ago. Um, you know, they played the D's and got touched up as well. You know, they were competitive against the D's, but, you know, the D's were obviously the better side in the end. But a um, few, few concerns for the Swans going forward. Ash, what are your areas of concern from the weekend? And I have a feeling you'll be talking about the Blues. Oh, I reckon you're spot on there. Um, yeah, my own beloved Navy Blues. Um some real concerns there, especially with the lack of endeavour with their ball use. And I don't know if that's more sort of to do with Carlton or, or St Kilda's sort of um, just ability to completely block off the corridor and just cause Carlton to, to go into their shells, um, you know, a, a continuous chip-kicking sideways backwards, just unable to find a way to, to transition the ball forward. And I think a lot of that comes down to the midfield and, and the lack of dominance, w- which they're presenting with. And on paper, midfield with with Cripps, Walsh, Chera, Hewitt, Kennedy. Last year, to be such a strength and, and for this year to be, for it to be such a liability is it, really disappointing. I think last year, our clearance def- our differential went from um, second to 12th this season mm-hmm. and same as points from clearances going from fourth to 15th, which is just a massive drop off. Uh, and I think a lot of that also comes down to just the way which Carlton is um, entering inside 50. And I touched on it last week, uh, bombing to the top of the square and, and just hoping that Harry Mackay or Charlie Kerno take a, a mark of the year 20 times a game. Uh, and it just doesn't happen just failing to, to lower the eyes and hit a target. But then at the same time, for a lack of smalls like Punny, Motlop, Durden, Fisher, just completely not there at the tall's feet to, to crumb it up. And I, I think it's really disappointing, a lack of disconnect between the forwards and then a lack of disconnect between the backs, the mids, and the mids, the forwards. Uh, and then Harry Mackay just 
by himself, a shell of himself, of, of the player that won the Coleman two years ago, completely lack of, uh, complete lack of confidence with his goal kicking, mm-hmm. with his field kicking. And um, yeah, it's really disappointing to see. And I think with Carlton having a fairly tricky fixture in the next month and a half, I think they play West Coast this week. But after that, it gets pretty challenging. Lions, Dogs, Pies, and the Swans, Demons, and Essendon. So quite a few of top eight and top four contenders in the next month and a half. And this is where we're really going to see what Carlton's made of. We saw Collingwood go into the third quarter a few goals down and, and really want to take the game on, be hungry for the contest, be ferocious, whereas Carlton just really passive. Um, they're far too... Um, they're far too reactive and not proactive. So I want to see them take the game on, look through the corridor, lower the eyes, find some targets, and, yeah, hopefully they can turn their season around. Yeah, and I think um, with Carlton, I'm still going to be very bullish on them. And um, I know they're missing some personnel at the moment. They're missing some runoff halfback with Doherty and Saad being injured at the moment. So uh, I'm still backing them in to, to turn the form around. But as you mentioned, the next six weeks are going to be really critical to them. You know, uh, we need to be careful again that we don't overreact to when they potentially pump West Coast by 10-plus goals. Um, you know, we need to keep that in perspective as well. So, um, Nath, what did you find concerning from the weekend? Yeah, look, I think probably the, te- the the biggest team left for me to talk about here um, is is Fremantle, and you know I- I've harped on for a little while, but I think you know before I get into the negatives, I, w- I do want to start with some positives. I think Caleb Sarong has turned himself into an A grade midfielder. His ability to win the ball um, in multiple ways throughout the middle, whether it's on on the outside, you know, overlap run, or you know, getting dirty and getting that real hard ball at the contest. He's elite, um, and, and to be quite frank, he's holding that uh, Fremantle midfield together at the moment. Uh, and I think the other bloke to talk about is Sean Darcy. Sean Darcy is probably in the top three or four Ruckmans in the league right now, and I know that, you know, despite his lack of mobility, his brute strength and power and ability to win hit-outs and put it down his midfielder's throats and then be a threat when he goes forward as a marking option, even though his, you know, left foot isn't the most reliable, at least being a threat up there is really good. But look, you know, Frio were lucky to be in this game early. The doggies, I think, kicked about six or seven behinds in that first quarter, and they should have been blown out the water, kind of like the um, elimination final last year. Um, but lucky for them, the inaccuracy kept a minute. Um, but again, slow, boring, stagnant footy. Um, they look to start moving the ball quickly, but then you know the halfbackers will sit on a sit on a mark. Uh, for six, seven, eight seconds, chip it sideways, bomb it down the line, and then they they lose all momentum they do have. And, you know, then when they do try and play with some dare and play through the midfield, they're almost like they're running on eggshells, nervous, and they're making mistakes and fumbling and putting hand passes behind overlapping runners. And it almost looks uncomfortable, almost like they don't want to do it or they're not allowed to do it. I'm not too sure. And um, I think the other concerning thing, and we've spoken about it previously, but their back line was something they could really rest their hat on. And um, the captain, Alex Pierce, really led that. And 
He's looked out of form. He's looked slow. He's looked sluggish. Um, he's looked a step or two off of his opponents, and they've really exposed that. But he's also putting himself in positions where, you know, he's, he shouldn't be. You know, there was a footage of him on the weekend from a kick-in standing on the uh, apex of the 50 and the, and the boundary line, and the ball's gone to the opposite side, and he's then had to trudge 100 metres across to find his opponent who's ended up taking a mark and kicking a goal. And, you know, outlet kicking and outlet marking isn't his strength. His strength is being that core player in the back line to, you know, come across and be the third man up and spoil and body his opponent out. And at the moment, he's not doing that. And I think as the captain, he's really got to sort of assess what his role in that back line is and really take take, take it like um, a captain should. Because at the moment, Luke Ryan sort of running the show back there and, He's half the problem, I think. You know, he's very much in that fantasy mode, I guess, of, you know, chip kicks and marks and, you know, cheap disposals, which isn't what the game Fremantle should be playing. They should be playing a lot quicker and with a lot more intent. And I think, you know, until they sort of change that that mentality, I think Fremantle are going to be continuing to chase their tail. And, you know, we talk about runs coming up and everything like that and Fremantle, you know, supposedly being a top eight team again this year. Just, just hear, hear this one out. So they've got Brisbane on the road this week. Um, Hawthorne back here in Perth, which won't be an easy team because Hawthorne are that plucky sort of up and about team. They go to Sydney, Geelong come over here, and then Melbourne on the road. You know, that's a really, really tough run leading into their buy. And I tell you what, on paper they go one and four. And if they do, by the time round 12 rolls around and their buy occurs, you can write their season off because they're not it's making. Not. And I think the concerning thing for Frio is you look at their injured players and they don't have a lot to come come back in that are of note they're going to add value to the team and fix the fix the issues, I think. Uh, yeah, they're in a bit of trouble, unfortunately, Fremantle. Yeah, we've talked about Fremantle and their forward, forward line structure over the last couple of weeks. And um, for me, a strange one on Friday night was to have Josh Corbett as the sub when they are struggling for goal kickers um, and Tabitha's injured now as well. Um, I know they they really want to play a miss, um, Jai Miss, and he showed some really promising signs. But other than that, like the cohesion between their their midfield and their forwards is just shocking. And um, it's funny. I mentioned this to my my old man who I was watching the game with on Friday night, and he's like, "Oh." If there's a team that's more frustrating than Port Adelaide, I reckon it would be Fremantle um, over the years. So, um, yeah, the Dockers have got some work to do. Um, And we didn't really touch on it before, but um, I want to talk about the Saints in a positive frame of mind. Um, Geez, I've been really impressed with what they've done over the first six, six rounds. They narrowly went down to Collingwood, but they've been in every other game. Um, their hunger and pressure um, for the ball has just been sensational to watch. And um, I'll probably throw it to Ash because he he would have been there on Sunday watching the Blues. But how did you how did you see this game, and what did you see that was to really like from a Saints point of view? Um, it was frustrating. That, that that's what it was. Um, I think what the Saints have done, and especially what Ross Lyon has done, to, to get the most out of their list with a number of key personnel injured and then slowly bringing back guys like Steele, Membry, it's just phenomenal. And they've been able to really sort of unearth a few sort of hidden talents, which probably wouldn't have got the opportunity um, had they been at, at full strength. 
Mitch Owens to, you know, kick two goals and seven tackles as a sort of key forward is just unreal. Um, and Dan Butler, three goals as well. So it's not really uh, a lot of the, the the taller sort of targets, um, which, they, which they've always sort of lacked. It's been more of a spit around their forward line with their smaller types. And, and I think that's what's a, a real positive. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, memory came back on the weekend. You know, King's probably still a little while away coming back from that shoulder reconstruction. But um, I think the most positive thing is with their injury list, they're, they're eight, because they've banked all these wins nice and early, they're able to slowly integrate these guys yeah. back into the team and they don't have to rush it thinking, all right, we've got to win this week, you know, to play finals because, you know, and this is going to benefit them more later in the year. So, um, yeah, I think one of the shining lights as well is Cal Wilkie again. Uh, the accountant from South Australia got picked up. At, I don't think he's missed a game since going over to the Saints. And, um, you know, he's he's a good smoky for all Australian, I reckon. Um you know, just does his job every week. He's not the most highly paid player, but I tell you what, he's probably one of the most respected players in that Saints um, mm. playing list at the moment. So, um, yeah, lots to like from the Saints, and I'm a little bit nervous as a Port Adelaide supporter playing against the Saints this week. So um, I think it should be a good game at Marvel, um, but you don't know what Port Adelaide uh, going to turn up at the moment. So uh, that's a, a wait and see. Uh, before we move into our fantasy segment, let's talk about some of the trade rumors that we've heard very quickly. There's been a lot of speculation about uh, both WA and SA clubs uh, sniffing around Cozzy Pickett. But according to Mitch Cleary, it looks like he's going to be signing a four-year deal with the Demons, which will take into free agency. So watch this space here. Um, obviously, nothing's confirmed until that deal gets announced by the club. Uh, ben Mackay's obviously been heavily talked about as well. Port Adelaide's looking for a big 200-centimetre sort of key defender. They went out to the Radigalia last year, and that trade request fell through due to Radigalia being under contract. So I know that Poor and Carlton are heavily interested in Mackay. Um, Harry Himmelberg's the other one that we've been sort of talking about. Um, he wants to stay in Sydney, according to Damien Barrett, and the Swans have come sort of knocking. They're probably going to have some salary cap space at the end of the year with Buddy most likely moving on. Um, and then apparently both SA clubs have been interested in Harry Himmelberg as well from what I've been hearing. Um, and Richmond's the other one that's very interested in Harry Himmelberg. Um, Himmelberg's pretty good mates with um, Toronto. They played with, at the Giants together for a number of years. But, uh, Jake, are there any trade rumours that you've heard going around at the moment other than the ones that I've mentioned? Oh, yeah. Well, the Mason Redmond one as well uh, to one of the uh... – Adelaide Crows, sorry. So, you know, that would be a big loss uh, for Essendon because, you know, the halfback flankers, you know, the major ball winners that come off there, they're very valuable in the league and um, it would be a big loss for us. But obviously, Hamel, uh, Harry Himmelberg, the way that we're talking about players who you can play forward like Kyle Langford, but you can also swing him back as well. So I think Himmelberg, yeah, he'll be a very sought-out player. And if you can't beat him, join him, I guess. So go to Richmond. 
Um, Nath, what have what have you heard over there in WA? Is there any uh, you know players that Fremantle and the Eagles are sniffing around? Uh, it might actually be one leaving, um, and I'm not sure if it's made it across the East Coast or not, but there's been a lot of chat about Nat Fife. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, ageing superstar who's now really struggling to stay healthy, and it now looks like Freeman was heading in the opposite direction of where he wants to go, which is ult- ultimately to win a premiership, which sort of caps off his fantastic resume that he has. And um, he has come out and denied the rumours, um, but I guess, you know, they're always fun um, to, to hear about, but definitely some links to um, Victorian clubs. And I, I think if he was to leave, St Kilda would be a very interesting one, especially with the uh, Ross Lyon connection there um, from back in the day when Ross was the coach over here for Fremantle. I don't think he leaves. I think Nat's going to be the sort of guy that will be a one-club player and uh, unfortunately never be a premiership player, which does suck to say as such a legend of the game. But, you know, it's an interesting one to sort of just keep the ear out as uh, Fife continues to battle injuries throughout this year as well. Let me throw that one back at you, Nathan. What if a club in Victoria, let's say it's a St Kilda or Carlton or a Dees, you know, someone who could potentially just narrowly miss out on that flag this year and they offer Fife a two-year plus a trigger for a third contract. Does he take it or does he stay with the Dockers? Well, personally, if I was the other club, I wouldn't be offering him that contract. I, I think his unreliability for injury is too much of a risk, especially at the back end of a of his career and the money that he'd potentially be offering. But, look, you know, I, I, I think, you know, he would have to at least consider it. Personally, I don't think he will. Um, I, I think, you know, the, there's a lot of pride nowadays in being a one-club player. Um, and it's probably almost like a bit of a Matthew Pavlich sort of a situation as well. Obviously, he was, you know, a Fremantle legend as well and unfortunately never got that premiership here. But, you know, there was a lot of pulls to get him back to South Australia and also to Melbourne as well. He was highly sought after and he decided to continue pushing and trying to win that premiership in Fremantle. And I think Nat Fife will do the same as well. I, I don't think any you know dollar figure or potential to move club would uh, draw him away, and I guess it's the other thing as well where you sort of you know I, I look at like a Tom Lynch who went to Richmond, and you know sure he's won a couple of premierships, but you know he also went to a team that was well established, and he was the you know the cherry on top. It doesn't sort of fulfil you the same way as if you are at the same club for 10, 15, 20 years um, and finally get to that premiership glory. I, I don't think anything could beat that feeling, to be quite honest. Yeah, that's that's fair enough, I reckon. And Ash, have have you heard anything in particular going around? Well, I've got a, a Mojo Sports exclusive uh, for you all. There's been a bit of bit of talk that after Sunday, Tom DeConing made the trip down to Torquay, and apparently he was spotted, and there is some footage of him having beers with Sam DeConing and some other Geelong teammates, which certainly sort of sets up with some interesting discussion. What is a player doing with rival clubs after two pretty disappointing losses out partying in Torquay? And I think sort of if you asked me a few weeks ago or or last month, I I would have been pretty confident that he was staying. There there was talk that sort of Carden had offered him a a two-year contract at about 600K, which I think is kind of reasonable considering he was attracting 
big deals both dollar-wise and contract length-wise from opposition clubs like Essendon, Sydney. But the longer this sort of drags on, the longer I am kind of slightly concerned. I wouldn't say necessarily concerned because I actually want him to leave. Um, I, I think that... Um, I think that there it's a it's a similar situation to sort of um, like dif- different um, on on different level to like Gorn and Jackson, where sort of I don't feel like um, Tom DeConing and Mark Pinnett can sort of coexist. Uh, I don't feel like either of them plus Jack Silvani have enough strengths both as sort of a third tool and, and a second ruck. So it's almost like you wish you could combine their strengths and eliminate the weaknesses to create these two perfect players out of the three. Um, and I would sort of much rather Carlton, you know, try and get the most that they can for Tom DeConing and sort of get someone like uh, Matt Flynn, I think is out of contract. Um, you know, what one of those sort of fringe rucks, um, even like Max Lynch, although he has had some sort of concussion problems, but, yeah. but one of those Ruckmans who Ruckman who you can sort of have in the VFL as sort of a an, an emergency kind of option, and you know get the most which you can for Tom DeConing while he sort of hasn't completely fallen off a cliff because he has been pretty disappointing this year, despite you know Kane Corns and other fellow media personnel really trying to drive him up to be a million dollar player and all that, but. Yeah, I'm interesting what you got. Interested to see what you guys think about that. I feel like with Do- Tom DeConing, a lot of it is surrounded by his potential and not mm. what he's currently worth. At the moment, if I was going to pay him somewhere between four fifty to five fifty, I reckon would be probably serviceable for what he's producing at the moment. I've never seen him properly rip a game apart compared to, you know, other Ruckman. Uh, I still think Pidnet's the best choice Ruckman at Carlton and Silvani does a good job supporting uh, whenever he is in the Ruck. But um, I don't know. I feel like you'd almost have to give De Koning like a proper month on his own with support from Silvani or Mackay, however you want to do it. Um and see what the kid see what the kid can do. Um, I think it was probably a blessing last year with um, Pidnet's PCL injury, and he was out for a sustained period of time, and that probably gave him a bit more of an opportunity to shine. But um, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if he went back to Geelong at the end of the year with his brother. Um, I know that St Kilda's been highly talked about. Um, you know, going after another Ruckman to allow Rowan Marshall to play forward. Um, mm. But I feel like Marshall and um, DeConing are all two similar types in a way. Um, let's move into our AFL fantasy uh, segment. So uh, I had a good return to form this week. I'm very happy. Uh, I took uh, the Marcus Bontempelli uh, vice captaincy loophole, which was very, very pleasing. So I managed to finish up with uh, 21-29 um, and I finished in the top 1,500 for the round. So I'm very happy with that. Uh, would have been a lot nicer if I didn't have Darcy Wilmont get a 22 
and Will Phillips also get a 22. So um, Darcy Wilmot will be a rage trade this week. I've had enough of him. I'll use my DPP, and I reckon slot Harry Sheasel um, into the back line. Sheasel went under a ton for the first time. I'm shocked. Um, he only scored a 47. So with Aaron Hall back on the side, you know, it might affect his ability to take kickouts. So he could be one that you'd hold for a few weeks. And then when it comes to his mid-season buy, I reckon that's when you flick him off. But, um, Nate, how did you go? Uh, horrendous, horrendous week. I, I had an 18.72, which is obviously well off par. Um, some of it was to be expected. Um, you know, I held Will Day through his two weeks of um, suspension and then also held um, Tom Green through his week of suspension as well. Positive. Um, I started the weekend off quite optimistic of my chances of a big score when Tim English punched out 129. I had the VC on him, so that was a good start. But for me, it's underperforming uh, premiums, but also underperforming rookies. So Golden a 70, had LDU with a 66. That's really, really disappointing. Um, I had Matt Roberts from Sydney on ground with a 19. I had Cam McKenzie on ground with a 45. Had Darcy Wilmer on the field with a 22 as well. So, you know, I had a couple of good scores in there, but I think those rookies and underperforming premiums really let me down. Even someone like a or Will Setterfield getting a like a mid 80 score probably isn't quite cutting it for what I need in the midfield at the moment. Um, I think probably like you, Callum, I'm going to be rage trading uh, Wilmot right out of my team this week. And I'll probably look to bring um, Chin Corey in. He, um, he was really, really impressive on debut for the, the Blues um, and even more so from a fantasy perspective as well. And um, I've got to bite the bullet. I've got to get Dacos in. You know, I've gone six rounds without being in that party and he rubbed a 140 in my face today and it hurt watching every single second of that game, seeing him uh, dominate and not having him. So... I'll move heaven and earth to make sure I get him in. But the small little flag that I do have is um, we talk about Dacos being tagged and whatever else, and um, one ta- one flag potentially for the fantasy community out there is Ben Keys. Now, he's been used more as a forward, and he's done a forward role, a forward tag role a couple of times. He's done it twice against Adam Saad and quite effectively, um, I'd say. So there is the potential that he might go to Nick Dacos and give him the business this week. I don't think he will stop him from scoring 100, but it's just a small flag, I think. Yeah, well, I'm hoping for my sake and my team that uh, Keys stays very clear of Mr. Dacos this week. Um, something that I just quickly wanted to touch on is my forward line. I've been very impressed with how they've been operating this year. So Connor Rosie, 133, Tim Taranto, 138. Uh, Dunk- Dunkley got a 40 uh, – sorry, a 86, I was nearly going to say 46, 86, a little bit lower than I was hoping, but I'm sure he'll get that up in the next few weeks. And Cogs, oh, I love love it when this man's in form. Cogs made a nice 135 for me. And I got Rowan Marshall in, in the rucks, 83, and it was nice to actually have my other proper ruckman back this week in Jared Witts, who's had a couple of weeks off due to injuries. So, uh, that's a little bit extra for me to gloat about this week, but I'll go back to reality next week, uh, like the last couple. Ash, fantasy, how'd you go? Uh, well, I think I echo sort of the sentiments between um, Callum and, and Nathan a bit. I scored 19.57, which is probably average, but a bit below average. 
fielded uh, Darcy Wilmot for his 22, which sucks, but Will Day comes back this week, which is a positive. Had the VC on Tim English, so took his score. Um, other primos like Tim Taranto, excellent. Nick Dacos, excellent. Um, Rory Laird, glad I've been holding him this whole time. He's been excellent. I think this week, obviously, Will Day comes back in. I'm going to potentially look to move on someone like Will Setterfield. Only scored an 86 and has probably been down uh, on his first two rounds where he scored really highly. I think Essendon in general, um, playing against Collingwood, their highest scoring fantasy player was only Darcy Parrish for the 94, while we saw Collingwood you know, have both day costs turn up, especially Nick with his 140, still sideboarding 126. So Essendon's sort of lack of scoring from a fantasy perspective has been well down. Um, the other one I'm potentially looking at is Jack Sewell, as we've already sort of mentioned, Aaron Hall in this week. Potentially, if someone like Harry Sheasel gets arrested, does that mean that Sewell can sort of bounce back a little bit? I guess we'll see. And the last one I'm going to touch on is Cosby Pickett, who I started, who I had all through preseason, and I was very sort of bullish. He came out in his first round of the year, scoring a 120, and I thought, great, this is my chance to get a great little point of difference. And his next game, after he came back from suspension against West Coast, he scored two goals, five, and I thought, yep, it's an 87 scoring, five behinds. That could have been all right than last week. Scores a 61 and this week a 37. So potentially one that I'm going to look to trade out. He's just fallen completely off a cliff. And that midfield role, probably not as uh, great as we initially hoped for. So that was my week. Yeah, well, hopefully for you two boys, it's a, or mostly for Nathan, it's a slightly better week next week. But I'm really hoping that my good form continues for once. So, uh, round seven, we kick off Friday night with St Kilda taking on Port Adelaide at Marvel. So Port Adelaide mm. do actually play all right at Marvel in recent times, um, which will be very interesting to see how that goes. Um, probably still tipping the Saints in that one. If you're yeah. looking at the Saints, 139, I reckon that's pretty good value there. Uh, the game between these two last year was decided by a Point up in Cairns, which was one of the worst games of football I've ever seen. So I'm very glad that the Saints aren't uh, taking this game to Cairns this year. Then uh, the Dockers take a very difficult road trip right across to the other end of the country and they take on the Brisbane Lions at Gabba. Uh, the, the Battle of the Bridge in Sydney, you'd probably be spe- expecting the Swans to get up in that one. But the good news is the Giants will be wearing their Never Surrender jumper, which is one of the best jumpers in footy. Uh, the dogs taking on the Hawks at Marvel, probably expecting the doggies to uh, get the chocolates there. Uh, the D's take on the kangaroos. So you'd probably expect the D's to win in that one. And as we touched on earlier, let's not overreact when Carlton uh, beat up West coast. Hopefully. Um, Hopefully. <laughs> they'll beat up West coast. Oh, I wouldn't be so sure. I, I said to my dad, uh, if Port Adelaide were a top four team, that would have been a 12-goal-plus victory on the weekend. So I don't think Port Adelaide's going to be finishing in the top four this year. Um, on Sunday, we see a very interesting clash take place, and it's the country match, and that's between mm. the Bombers and the Cats at G. So um, could be a good one to go to. I'm sure Jake will be there with bells on until they get beaten. 
Um, and then yeah. Richmond take on the Suns at Marvel. So Damian Hardwick's going to have something else to complain about because the fans don't turn up to Marvel. Um, and then to finish off the round, one of the most interesting games I'd probably say would be the Crows taking on the Pies. And even though I'm not a Crow supporter, I might even see if I can get some tickets to this one. So uh, hopefully the weather holds off. So uh, Jake, since you were left out of the fantasy segment, what are, what are you particularly liking from the weekend? And you can't say the Bombers because I know oh, that's already on your mind. It is on my mind. I might go to the Suns and Tigers game. I think that could be a, a pretty interesting game. Uh, recent times, you know, last year we had Noah Anderson kick a goal after the siren, uh, and that was at Metricon, of course. But uh, the, uh, the Suns, they played a close game against the Tigers a few years ago uh, at Marvel, and... They're, they don't come to Marvel, the Tigers supporters, but they sure don't shut up at the MCG, I'll tell you that. Um, there was a lot of bubble uh, premiership talk about the Melbourne uh, win in the uh, the West, and I was telling them to shut up. But uh, Gold Coast, I'm looking for them to play a good game. Marby Troll against his old team, which could be, could be fun. And then, yeah, the Swans and the Giants. They always play some pretty close games looking back to the elimination finals and the finals they've played in the past. So, yeah, looking for a good game there as well. Awesome. And, Nate, what are you liking? Uh, I'm probably looking forward to Friday night and cracking a beer. Um, you know, Saints have been pretty good under under the lid at Marvel um, and Port Adelaide have been a bit touch and go on the road, so and especially going to Melbourne at times as well. So I'm really look, actually looking forward to that game to see if Port Adelaide's form is real or if Saints yeah. are just that dominant under the under the lid. Um, I'm actually really then excited Sunday, Geelong, Essendon. Um, obviously, Essendon coming off of a, a five-day break and Geelong coming off of a three wins in a row now. But you could probably say that this is Geelong's first real test. Obviously, Sydney undermanned on the weekend um, and playing down at the Cattery, which is a bit of a fortress for them down there. So, you know, can Geelong translate that form um, against Essendon, who's a team on the up and at the MCG? Um, and then I'd be lying to say if I'm not excited for Sunday afternoon. Like, my God, Collingwood and the Crows, who thought yeah. um, at the start of this this, uh, this year that that would actually be probably closer game in the round. Um, you know, the Crows shaky, but, you know, they got the four points. But Collingwood pretty beat up. They had to work really, really hard to get the win this afternoon. And five-day break and having to jump on a plane as well, you know, that's pretty tough. So I'm actually expecting a bit of an upset there, and I'm backing in the boys to win. Um, I think, you know, they, their home form has been really, really good. And I think Collingwood, that five-day break's a killer. So I'm intrigued to see how they bounce back off of that. Mm-hmm. And lucky last, Ash, what are you liking from round seven? I think Nate has uh, stolen my uh, my games again. I was going to say Saints Port on a Friday night. Got some really great matchups, especially in the midfield. You got sort of the older servants, Crouch and Steele, coming up against a few young guns like Rose and Butters. Then you got some elite key defenders, not necessarily going up against each other, but Aliyah Aliyah and, and Callum Wilkie. Uh, really interesting, like you mentioned, Callum, both probably in uh, all Australian talk. And then once again, Crows versus, uh, Crows versus Pies. Will this be the week where Nick Dacos gets a bit of attention? I'm keen to see if uh, Tex Walker and Darcy Fogarty can sort of continue their, their streak of big sort of bags. And, uh, yeah, it should be a cracking game. Absolutely. And I think, uh, as I touched on, the Crows and Collingwood game, if you said that at the start of the year, it would have been like, nah, mate, 
not none of that. Um, but that just with the way that the pros are going, it makes it a lot more interesting. And um, I think as Nate touched on, the, the five-day break for the Pies um, might be a little bit of a, a hurdle for them this week. But that's all we've got time for tonight. Thank you for joining us on the Mojo Sports AFL show. And a quick shout-out to our listeners from overseas. I know we have a number of listeners from the U.S., which is really exciting. So shout-out to our U.S. listeners. So uh, if you haven't already, make sure that you follow the Mojo Sports AFL Instagram page where you'll get all your updates about the show. We'll be posting some reels on there very, very shortly. Um, and make sure that you listen to some of our other podcasts on the next on the network. So take care for now and we will see you guys all next week. Cheers. 